BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Straight ahead on the insiders, the beer sign that has impacted so much more than the Cyclones fan from Altoona who held it up during a football game. Our insiders will weigh in on that decision to let everybody know about Carson King's retweet on Twitter back from when he was a kid. Plus, Elizabeth Warren has wanted it for months, impeaching President Donald Trump. Well, the impeachment inquiry has begun, and we talked with the senator and presidential candidate on the structural changes she believes this country is ready to see. And in the Insider's Quick Six, the vaping, and whether it's time for the governor to take action on it. Thanks for being with us this week. Donald Trump's name now appears with Andrew Johnson, Bill Clinton, and Richard Nixon, although in obvious different ways here, right? Congress impeached Presidents Johnson and Clinton, although never led to them actually getting removed from office. And we know President Nixon quit before Congress could convict him. Now, President Trump at this point only facing an impeachment inquiry, kind of the first step in this long process. But it could have major implications for him, Congress, the presidential campaigns, and really for anybody who actually wants to see Washington do something. Let's start with that topic this week. Doug Gross is a Des Moines attorney, former presidential campaign advisor and the Republicans 2002 nominee for governor. Welcome back. Good to be with you. And Tom Henderson's also a Des Moines attorney and the former longtime, really long time, really, really long time Polk County Democratic chair. <laughs> Just kidding. Welcome back to you as well. All right, Mr. Thank Polk you. County Chair Emeritus, <laughs> uh, what do you think about the Democrats' decision to kind of move forward on this? Well, the impeachment inquiry raises the level at which Congress can demand things. You've seen a lot of battles occur between the House of Representatives and the President with regard to requests for information. With an impeachment inquiry, the courts treat that as a more serious request, and it puts Congress in a stronger position when they want to do the type of investigation they think they need to have going forward with regard to the allegations that have been uh, leveled against the President. Uh, your three Democratic members of Congress in our state uh, were kind of restrained on this, frankly. You know, as you see other members of Congress saying, hey, let's impeach the guy. Let's get the full thing going. They've been pretty restrained. How do you look at their reactions? I respect that because this is a very serious thing uh, for them to take. Um, the Constitution uh, makes this kind of a really limited option. Uh, people elected a president of the United States, and we don't want to remove a president of the United States from office unless they actually do violate the constitutional privilege. So I respect the Congress uh, members of our delegation and also uh, the Democratic members of the House for not moving forward with this quickly without having substantial reason to do so. Uh, is this too big a risk? Politically? Uh, well, I don't know that anything will ever come of this day because the Senate would never convict them. So I, don't th I, I would be surprised if we ever actually see a formal impeachment vote by the House because then it will go to the Senate for trial and there is no way that the Republicans in the Senate will ever convict uh, Donald Trump. Uh, Doug, I talked to one of those members of the Senate, Senator Chuck Grassley, this week. Let's listen to what he said to sort of set this up. We had asked him about, you know, the, the new premise for this, and that's President Trump's conversation with the president of Ukraine, where he suggested that they look into Joe Biden and the role Joe Biden's son had played serving on a board in the past. Here's what Senator Grassley said. As I read the testimony, a uh, pretty uh, normal discussion uh, one that uh, 
was a little less volatile than I would expect the President of the United States to have with any discussion with anybody. I don't know about the legal. It's uh, not good judgment. All right, so we combined two things that he had said there, Doug, because they seem to sort of be saying other things. So he read through the, wasn't a verbatim transcript, but the notes from that conversation yeah. between those two presidents. Yeah. And he's saying, hey, it wasn't as much as you might expect from a President Trump, but then he's also saying uh, to another question here, I don't know about the idea of asking a foreign leader to get involved with this. What do you make of it? It was terrible judgment. I mean, the Senator is right. I mean, you don't expect the President of the United States to when you've got a lot of military aid pending that Congress approved and that you just delayed and then asked for a favor? Really? And you come from New York? Uh, obviously, that was terrible judgment. Yeah. And, and releasing that document confirmed it. Now, is it impeachable? Well, I think the impeachment process is the wrong way to go here. I think what Congress should do is they should uh, put the uh, president in contempt, hold him in contempt for doing this. Make it very clear this is a behavior that they don't sanction, better never happen again. Instead, what we're going to do is go down this ra rabbit hole of impeachment. As Tom says, that the Senate's not going to convict anyway. And for the public, it's just more falderall. When we got an election coming up anyway, let's decide at the election. Hey, speaking of that election, we only have one of our two senators up. So Joni Ernst is up next year, first time she's up for re-election. What's your advice to her on how to even talk about this subject? I thought what the senator said, Senator Grassley said, is well, Joni should respond to this as well, that it was terrible judgment. You cannot excuse those statements that, in the redacted version that we all saw, that he said. You can't, you can't excuse that. Now, bad judgment, but is it impeachable? That's another event. There, clearly nothing occurred in terms of trading favors or trading money or that sort of thing. The irony of this, though, is I think it's also going to hurt Joe Biden. And I think in a, in a sort of a weird way, the president is attempting, that's what the president always is intending to do, is to take Biden down. And while I think it'll hurt the president, I think it's going to hurt Biden even more because it's going to bring up all these discussions about his son and his role getting 50 grand a month for being on some natural gas company in the Ukraine. Uh, how do you justify that? Uh, Tom, we'll go ahead and flip through the responses that we saw from the three Democratic members of the House. As, as they go forward with this, how does that impact their campaigning for next year? Well, I think in some respects they're doing their job. And I would like to think that when they're running for re-election, they can tell people that we found some irregularities that the president engaged in and we investigated them, whether it was from an impeachment inquiry or, as Doug has suggested, some other committee action, they'd still have to investigate it. What occurred with regard to that phone call was clearly out of bounds. He was directing a foreign leaguer to work with his own personal lawyer with regard to an investigation. And that was not government business. That was personal business. You can see what Abby Finkenauer, our first congressional uh, member of Congress, said about that. And frankly, as you start looking through all three of these, we also have Cindy Axey and Dave Lobsack's responses here. For Lobsack, obviously, he's retiring, so perhaps it doesn't have the political implications. But they were all, as we mentioned before, almost not necessarily reluctant, but pretty pretty careful in the way they're phrasing all of this, not to get too far ahead of this. Do you think in some ways the presidential candidates have pushed some of this? I don't think so as much. I, I think it still comes from the House. I know that within the House caucus, they've had discussions about this since January, about whether to go forward or not. And initially, there was just a small minority that were in favor of it. And gradually, over time, a larger group has, has uh, started to put pressure on the leadership to do that. I think Nancy Pelosi ultimately made the decision that she thought was wise. Right, but, 
Go ahead. We've got about half a minute left. i got to ask you about the presidential campaign race on your side here before we head to break. What are you making about it? So we saw the register poll last weekend putting Elizabeth right. Warren up top. What are you feeling out there? Well, you know, we've got so many candidates in the field that if Elizabeth Warren becomes the front runner, she has a really strong chance of taking this. I do not believe that 50% of the Democratic Party is necessarily in her camp, but with that many uh, candidates in the field, you only have to end up with the most votes. And in her situation, that puts her in a strong position right now. She's, ta she's, she's fishing in the same pond as Sanders, and, she, and Sanders' support is diminishing and hers is increasing. All right, we'll take a break here. Uh, speaking of Senator Warren, we sat down there. We talked to her about this big structural change she's talking about in so many ways. Here's how she explains that. Here that is. Elizabeth Warren's been talking about big changes, right? She'd eliminate most, if not all, private insurance and have Medicare for all. She'd have taxpayers pick up the tuition costs for you to go to college, pay off some of your student loans, have a 2% wealth tax a year on people with $50 million or more in assets, break up big tech like Amazon, Google, and Facebook. Big structural changes. I asked her whether anyone has successfully campaigned on such a dramatic transformation of this country and actually won. Sure, Franklin Roosevelt. In fact, he won so many times that we actually had to change the Constitution to make sure that we didn't make someone president forever. And by the way, before him, Teddy Roosevelt. And let me remind you on both of those, big structural change here fundamentally boils down to solving just one problem, and that's the influence of money in Washington. You know, right now, Washington works for the wealthy and the well-connected, this is not working for anyone else. And when you see a government that works for those who have money, that works for those who can make a lot of campaign contributions, that works for those who can hire an army of lobbyists, works for those who can hire bought and paid for experts and pay off think tanks, and is it working for anyone else? That's corruption, pure and simple. And we need to beat it back. What this is about for me it's about making democracy work again. It's about saying, you know who's gonna call the shots in Washington is not gonna be big ag and big tech and big banking. We're actually gonna have a Congress and have a president that's accountable to the people and out there doing the people's business. Uh, roughly speaking, about half of our jobs in this state pay 35,000 or less, yeah. roughly. What as pre and clearly you start to get you're not buying a lot of stuff when you're making 34 grand right especially if you're supporting a family but what where does a president come in here and is it is it realistic to to promise people that hey we need we can create ways for more people to make more money so we have fewer people struggling is that something as president you or anyone could do sure it is um, so let me give you an example of that we face uh, an existential threat from changes in climate. Uh, it threatens every living thing on this It's not a hoax? It's not a hoax. It threatens every living thing on this planet. Now, we have known about that, been in that direction for a long time. Go back to the early 90s, and we didn't quite have the words right. It was called global warming, and we didn't quite- Acid rain. That's years right, ago. but we had the basics about it. And back then, Congress was working together 
Democrats and Republicans saying, what do we need to do? More power to the EPA, what do we need to do? And they're starting to move in that direction. But along come the guys who make their money out of the fossil fuel industry, the big polluters, the ones who like things the way they are. And what do they do? They start investing in Washington, in bigger campaign contributions, in bought and paid for experts to say, oh, climate science, maybe yes, maybe no. Why? So that those politicians can hide under that umbrella and keep taking money. The climate crisis we face today is 25 years of corruption in Washington in the making. So think about it a little differently. Let's now attack the climate problem. And let me give you an idea about how to do that. First, let's do what we do well in the United States. Let's invest in science, in technology, in innovation, in creation. Let's put money at the University of Iowa and Iowa State and a lot of the other research universities all around this nation on how we clean up what we've got and how we produce energy going forward in ways that make this planet sustainable. Let's invent it here, because we're good at that. Part two, let's say to any business, you can use the science we invent. You can, you can pick it up and use it. You don't have to pay for it, so long as you build it right here in the United States. And then part three, <clears throat> we're not only going to have it available here, we're going to sell it all around the world. Right now, for every $1 America spends to market our products abroad, China is spending $100. So we step up on the marketing end. And in poor areas, we may end up giving it away in order to get a planet that is sustainable. But you know what that produces that, that I just described to you? Outside estimate is it would produce about 1.2 million new manufacturing jobs, good union manufacturing jobs. The policy part, let's talk about the selfies, right? That's what she's kind of making her name for this, where she'll stay after an event and pose for hours with people to get those pictures. Here's why she said she does that. So you know I started doing this long before I ran for president. I was doing this back in Massachusetts um, when I did a town hall. My view was a lot of people wait in line to come in. They were there for the extent of the town hall, and if they wanted a picture afterwards, if they wanted to shake hands, then by golly, I was gonna stay there for as long as they wanted to do it. But what I quickly learned is how much it keeps me in the right place. Because people get to say to me, just in that short blink, $46,281. That's how much student loan debt I have. Please keep pushing your plan to cancel student loan debt. Or the mama who gave me a hug not so long ago, and she was there with her little girl. We'd done our pictures together. And as the little girl was walking away, gave me a hug and said, she has brain cancer. Please keep fighting for health care for all of us. Um, the little girls that I get to do pinky promises with. The reminder that my name is Elizabeth, I'm running for president, because that's what girls do. Um, the chance to stand with someone who's losing hope and say, 
We live in a democracy. You have a voice. Together, we can have power. We can make this government. We can make this economy. We can make this country. We can make this democracy work for all of us. It, it keeps me going. For me, this is what running for president is all about. All right. Math of that beer sign and what's happened to Carson King next. We'll talk about that. All right, that was the sign, and so much has changed since that sign appeared on ESPN's college game day during the Cyhawk football game. Carson King held it up, was trying to get some beer money, and so much has happened since then. Let's bring back our insiders. All right, guys, so he's from Altoona. He's an Iowa State fan. Held up that sign, raised almost two million bucks that he's said he would give to the Children's Hospital in Iowa City. Doug, the, the Des Moines Register made the decision to contact him and talk to him about some retweets that he had from when he was a kid. That yeah, racist, when he was 16, right? terrible editorial judgment. I mean, you, and to me it was really disappointing because when you, you, the worst part about the people think about journalists is they try to make something bad out of something good. And if there's anything good about uh, there's about Carson, what Carson did, it's everything. I mean, here's a guy who does a joke and, and he's given $2 million to kids at the University of Iowa. And some reporter and some editor at the Des Moines Register thinks they ought to dig up a tweet way back in when he was a kid and something he retweeted. Just terrible editorial judgment. And from a journalistic standpoint, it strikes me, we rely on the Register as an established newspaper to have editorial control. You expect that stuff out of blogs and that sort of thing, but not the Des Moines Register. Tom, this hits so many different aspects of life here, when it's social media, it's sports, it's politics, it's media, it's traditional media. What do you think the impact of all this was? Well, my question is, not everything is news. Some things are newsworthy. And what he said when he was 16 years old was not newsworthy. And he didn't really say anything. Yeah, he he retweeted, retweeted it, but nonetheless. Well, yeah, but he was 16. And if he committed a criminal act as a juvenile, we keep that under wraps. You don't even get to look at it. And he didn't do anything that was a criminal act. Why even bring it up? He was doing good things. People felt good about what he was accomplishing. And to Doug's point, wonderful things were happening at the University of Iowa hospitals. Leave it alone. It's not newsworthy. Eat it. Because that, that retweet, that original tweet was racist in nature here, does that change anything or not? I mean, this is a kid who's 16. Their frontal lobe hasn't developed. And he retweeted a stupid tweet. More importantly than that, I thought what, how he handled it was far better than how Des Moines Register handled it. When he became aware of it, he apologized for it and got out ahead of it. Before it was published. Yeah, he got out ahead of it and apologized, said it was stupid. I mean, he took ownership of this. The Register won't even take ownership over the fact that they did something really dumb from a journalistic standpoint. They ought to be as, as adult as he is. You agree? I agree totally. I think that that's where the editorial content or the, who's in charge of the editorial content for the Register says, no, we're not going to print that. He's not running for office. You know, what he said may have been bad, but he was 16. We're going to put it in the can. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we want to recognize the life of another young campaign volunteer who died on Iowa roads. We'll do that next. Elizabeth Warren's presidential campaign now unfortunately feels the sadness that Ben Carson's campaign did back in 2016. Last Monday, Zach Pressburg died in a crash in rural Pottawatomie County. Zach was a California native. He came to Iowa this past summer to be an organizing fellow for Warren's campaign, but then he stayed on when that was done, and he was a volunteer. He was just 22 years old. 
Braden Joplin was 25 when he died in a crash, and this one also happened in western Iowa. It was January of 16. The roads near Atlantic were covered with ice and snow at the time. He had come to this state as a student from Texas Tech so that he could volunteer for Carson's campaign. Two young men here who temporarily moved to our state to try to help elect a president. Neither one got to experience that first test on caucus night. Our condolences to everyone impacted here. The Quick Six is up next. Time for the Insider's Quick Six. Doug and Tom are back here. Question one, in one state they have put a temporary ban on vaping. Is that something Governor Reynolds should look at in light of these deaths? Yes. I would agree. Uh, question two, the governor's also talked about this idea about paying state workers, giving them time off to go volunteer somewhere like some other states do. Is that a good idea? No. I don't think it's a bad idea. It might get them out in the community. Maybe we'll meet some people who are concerned about state government. <laughs> <laughs> Question three, waiting on this big deal, supposedly, when it comes to biofuels. Doug, in your mind, is President Trump, does he believe in renewable fuels or not? He believes in getting reelected, and he better fix that or he's not going to. Can he possibly push the farmers back further than he has? I, I don't know. I think he should lose the farm vote, but they continue to be low. Uh, question four, what about this Des Moines mayor's race? So Jack Ash and a few others are challenging longtime mayor Frank County. Could that really be a race? No. Uh, I don't think so because there's too many candidates. All right, question five, let's talk baseball here. All this talk about the pace of baseball. Should they mess with it? If they should, how should they change the game? Uh, don't let the batter step out of the box once he's in the box. Keep him in there. And by the way, the Cardinals are going to win the Central. They'll limp in, but they'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they should change baseball. I think it's fine, but I agree with him. I think just make sure they stay in the box and keep things moving. Because right now they're just running up the pitch count. That's their whole job. You know. I thought you meant you were going to agree on the Cardinal prediction. Well, let's there, get Mr. rid of some saber metrics too, by the way. That's, that's ruining shifts. the game. All we've got are homers and walks and strikeouts. Do you know the White Sox are going to be good next year? They could. <laughs> I, I don't disagree. All right, your prediction. Well, it was that Frank County is going to easily win the mayor race, but you've already got into that. I guess the other thing I might say is there appears to be some disruption going on at the state house. There may be some changes in leadership happening here before long. Just watch. On the Republican side? On the Republican side. Let's talk about the Republican side some more. The third district supervisor race where Steve Van Orr is running for re-election is being challenged by Mayor Sarah Kravowski. I predict that she will win a that Pleasant Hill? Yes. You predict she will win? She'll win. She will thank, win. Thank you, Mo. Appreciate it. Good to be time. with you. Let's stay connected throughout the week. We'll see you next week.